Welcome football fans. Buckle up for another hard-hitting episode of Player 54 Podcast, a show focused solely on the XFL. From a sunny Southwest Florida studio, here's your host, Michael Lathrop. Hello, football fans. This is episode 74, 2023, Week 9 Recap and Week 10 Preview. This episode is brought to you by our friends at Royal Retros by 503 Sports. Royal Retros are the king of throwbacks. Royal Retros by 503 Sports provides a line of merchandise from legendary defunct leagues such as the XFL 1.0. If you've always wanted to get yourself a quality Las Vegas Outlaws He Hate Me or Los Angeles Extreme Tommy Maddox jersey, perhaps even an OG XFL's team's t-shirt, we have you covered. Simply click on the link provided in the show's description and notes and enter the code Let's Talk XFL at checkout to receive 10% off your purchase. This week, I'm back in my Southwest Florida studio. It is good to be home and getting back into my normal routine. More importantly, my schedule is clear and I'm looking forward to watching the final week of the regular season games and see how the playoff picture unfolds. As usual, we'll have some league developments to cover. In addition, contributor Mark Hallback returns to review the Week 9 games and preview the upcoming matchups. But first, we have those developments to cover. So, let's get to it. On April 13th, the St. Louis Battlehawks signed quarterback Vincent Testaverde Jr. Then, on April 14th, the XFL and ESPN announced Week 10 schedule adjustments. Game 4 between the Vegas Vipers and Seattle Sea Dragons now has a start time of 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time and will broadcast on ESPN2. Then, on April 15th, the Houston Roughnecks hosted the Vegas Vipers. The Roughnecks defeated the Vipers 28-21. With this result, the Houston Roughnecks secured the South Division's top seed and will host the Divisional Semifinal. Also on April 15th, the San Antonio Brahmas hosted the Orlando Guardians. The Brahmas defeated the Guardians 25-23. Then, on April 16th, the D.C. Defenders hosted the Arlington Renegades. The Defenders defeated the Renegades 28-26. With this result, the D.C. Defenders secured the North Division's top seed and will host the Divisional Semifinal. Also on April 16th, the St. Louis Battlehawks hosted the Seattle Sea Dragons. The Sea Dragons defeated the Battlehawks 30-12. Then, on April 18th, News broke of Seattle Sea Dragons defensive end Chris Smith passing away. Chris was 31 years old. Our thoughts and prayers are with Smith's family, friends, and teammates. Then, on April 19th, per the Valley Labor Report, the XFL Players Union election results were made public. Those supporting unionization with the United Steelworkers lost, with 124 casting a no vote and 73 casting a yes vote. Also on April 19th, San Antonio Brahma's kicker, Parker Romo, posted to his Twitter account the following. We want to unionize with the right group, possibly the NFL Players Association. As I have previously mentioned, I will now be joined by contributor Mark Halbach to review the Week 9 games and preview this weekend's matchups. Welcome back, Mark. I appreciate you returning week after week to review and preview XFL games with me. I am grateful for your continued commitment and to be completely fair, at times carrying the heavier load to ensure the show's overall coverage has not been sacrificed. 
So from the bottom of my heart, thank you. I really appreciate it. Well, Michael, yeah, it's always a pleasure to be here. We know you had a busy weekend here tying the knot. So we all want to congratulate you for for that, you and your wife. You know, congratulations on that. And then, you know, just getting back into town and, and ready to record. So a lot of commitment out of you as well. So we're, we're all looking forward to, uh, you know, hearing about the stories and over the weekend. But we'll save that for personal conversations and uh, get to the week nine of the XFL. You know, let's let's get to it. Absolutely. There's a better time for that. And it's not for the world to probably hear and not maybe they don't even care, Mark. Right? They probably don't even care. This one they're tuning in for the XFL. So it's hard to believe the XFL has actually completed nine weeks of games. You know, we think back to 2020, you know, the pandemic just abruptly ended everything. Yeah, we know the bankruptcy and then the purchase, and then we were just waited forever for the the lead to come back. We didn't get it in 2021. We didn't get it in 2022, 2023. Nine weeks completed. I guess time flies when you're actually having the fun part of it and not the waiting part, right? <laughs> yeah, this has gone really quick. You know, we, we've been waiting, you know, a couple of years for 3.0 to come out. And we're in the heart of the season. We've got two playoff spots that need to be secured yet. So, I mean, it's coming down to week 10, which is great. And then, uh, We'll see how the playoffs shape out. I, I know that the the home field advantage has at least been uh, figured out there, so ticket sales can start. People can and can uh, make the game there. But it has flown by, and uh, I'm looking forward here to the next few weeks of covering this and uh, seeing who winds up on top. Just for those new folks that are joining us, because the show continues to pick up some listeners along the way, which we'd like to welcome you. But we are going to get into week nine and review it, and then we'll get into the preview of the week 10 matchups. So to kick things off, we'll just start with that week nine, game one, the Vegas Vipers at the Houston Roughnecks, with the Roughnecks winning 28-21. to I would like to say ESPN Plus is a godsend. It's on-demand feature allowed me to catch up on some of these games, not all the way through, so folks just might take my commentary or my thoughts with a grain of salt please but last week i said i thought the roughnecks would have plenty of film and would be well prepared for jalen mcclendon that did not seem to be the case early on in this game with the vipers leading at the end of the first and heck at the end of the second quarters so once again mcclendon had another solid game with 290 all-purpose yards and two passing touchdowns but before I praise McClendon and company too much, it is the Roughnecks who won and improved to 6-3 and three on the season, which secured them at the top spot there in the division in the home game for the playoffs. Despite them getting the victory, there's some concerns with Brandon Silvers. His production was not up to our standards and how we have talked about previously and where we thought he was doing extremely well and how he could be the MVP candidate. And so obviously with... Whatever injury, whatever's going on with the Cole McDonald experiment has kind of came into play here. So we look at this game. He had 16 of 27, 105 yards passing, no touchdowns, and two interceptions. It was Borgie and Aline who bailed out Silvers and company. So looking at this, we had talked about how often the loss of Kirkland is obviously an issue, right? It's something that they got to find that next guy up. 
there may not be a next guy up to actually do that. So, I mean, when you take a look at this game, what are your major thoughts and takeaways from what played out? Well, Michael, yeah, you look at the box score here, and if you didn't know the score, you would have thought the Vipers won this game, especially from their offensive production in in yardage. This was a game, you know, and, and you mentioned the loss of Kirkland. I do feel that it's affecting this offense a little bit more. And they just need to probably get back to those creative roots a little bit. You know, I'd like to see them kind of get a little bit more creative with some of the things they're doing. But at the other end of the the ball, the defense is playing really well and was able to, you know, come up with a big score to cut the lead. Uh, You know, the Vipers jumped out to a 12-0 lead. And, you know, Silvers had had an interception that kind of led to a touchdown there. And early on, you thought, oh, my, you know, what's kind of going on? And McClendon looked good. And and like I mentioned, if he can continue to throw the ball like this and also get a few first downs with his legs like he has, he's a force to be reckoned with. I just think this comes down to situational football a little bit and hidden yardage and conversions, right? And just kind of how that really works out for you know the vipers i just i feel like they're situationally not as you know sharp as a team like houston and if houston can play a game like this and still win they're definitely the best overall uh because with this one at first and phillips um to get a holding call after mcclendon had a big run and, you know, it looked like the Vipers were going to go in for a touchdown and score. And here, then they wind up settling for a field goal attempt that they miss. So the challenge actually costs them points, you know, both ways here. And those are the things you can't make mistakes out of. You can't not score points when you're in scoring range. And, and that's what's happened to them kind of all year. They're too busy trying to fix the big things than to focus on those littler things that really make you a championship football team. You know, I mean, when it came to Brandon, he he did not have, obviously did not have a great game. Balls were behind people. They were, you know, off. And then, you know, obviously he's he threw a couple of, you know, interceptions. So they were lucky enough that Houston's defense, you know, was able to get kind of this weird touchdown where the ball was just stolen from Martavius Bryant. <laughs> and run in um, and, you know, they took the ball away and then, you know, they were able to make the conversion and then they, you know, they're leading 14 to 12 before you know it. It was really kind of interesting to see Houston have to kind of lean on the running game in the fourth quarter a little bit, right? Cause they don't want to turn the ball over, you know, at that point in time they were ahead. And then it came down kind of to the end of the game. There was a, a situation with about, 30 some seconds left. They completed a pass and then all of a sudden 15 seconds run off the clock and they call a timeout because they're not clocking. You know, they got a first down. So the clock does stop at that point in time. At that point in time, you're too far away to call the timeout yet because you want to be able to use the whole field. So you got to clock the ball. And it was first down. I didn't understand what they were doing. And Woodson, you know, obviously his frustrations were shown on the sideline there, but that is what's practiced in situational football. 
on what needs to be done and what you expect it to be done. And they couldn't get a call in. They're changing formations. That's just poor coaching, period. And that's why Vegas is at the bottom of the North Division. It's because they just haven't gotten really good coaching. You know, they had to get rid of a coordinator. They've gone through three quarterbacks, right? They just don't know what to do right away. And that's inexperience, if you ask me. So I think they had a chance on the last play. You know, it was in Sexton's hands. McClendon threw a right, you know, he threw a good ball. And, you know, he just couldn't hang on to that. He was preparing for the hit a little bit too much. That was coming. Well, you're going to get hit anyways. You just catch the ball. But it just came down to that situational type football. And in Vegas just isn't very good at that. And it's because they got bigger issues, right? And when you have bigger issues, you're too busy worrying about those, right? You're just trying to score points or, you know, trying to get a quarterback. And then, you know, these small things like situational football falls through the cracks. And that's exactly what happened in this game. So. Unfortunately for them, another loss for Houston, you know, obviously secures the South Division champions, you know, congratulations to them, home field advantage. So, I mean, uh, Houston is is definitely going to be in the 14 tournament at the end of the day. So it's going to be, we'll talk about this at the preview. It's going to be interesting to see what they do leading into week 10 and who they play and who they don't play. But um, other than that, it's... Houston is just a better team and was able to make up for the mistakes that they made in Vegas. They had to play a perfect game to beat Houston and they just didn't. What I do like without getting too far ahead of ourselves here is that these teams that are out that have been eliminated are still being competitive, right? We can talk about mistakes and this and that. There's a reason why they're not in the picture anymore, but they are still having an impact. They are pushing these other teams there's no give me's. I mean, that's at least the way that it appears. So for the fam or for the people that are casuals tuning in on television, hopefully it's good enough football where they're like, oh, hey, this is competitive. It's not a blowout one way or the other. You know, you know, I know this team is one win, two wins, whatever it might be. So at least for that way of looking at it, it doesn't look bad. But we'll move on to game two. We had the Orlando Guardians at the San Antonio Brahmas. With the Brahmas winning 25 to 23, again, competitive. In a must win situation for the Brahmas, they stepped up. They took care of business to keep their playoff hopes alive. All season long, you've been saying the problems are not Jack Cohen. He delivered in this game. Bear with me for a moment because I'm going to ramble on with the statistics like I typically do, and folks, so just bear with me for a moment. He went 25 of 31. With 302 yards passing, one touchdown, no turnovers, and six running yards. He did so by connecting with eight different receivers and had a solid day from Jacques Patrick, who had 80 yards rushing, one touchdown, and 50 yards receiving. Looking at the score and even the statistics, which I kind of dive into all the time here, the Guardians appear to be in this game. Heck, that performance by Darrington, 133 yards rushing on 16 carries and a touchdown, 
is the type of game that propels most teams to victories when you have a player that can play that type of way, right? We've talked about in the past how Dormady has those 300 yards rushing. You know, when you have some turnovers, that doesn't quite propel you to the victory. Well, in this case, you look at it, it's tough to believe. However, when the team has a combined 136 yards passing from three different quarterbacks, it's typically not the recipe for success. So, you know, knowing that Cody Latimer was out, was it really his absence that hindered the Guardians' passing game? You know, was it just enough to disrupt them, not having a guy that's a veteran has got that, you know, professional experience within the National Football League? Was that what kind of seemed to really disrupt the passing game that had been looking pretty good for so many weeks now? Or was it, you know, something else? I mean, what's your take? First of all, Orlando came out and again, fast start by Orlando. They can script plays like the best of them. They are the Matt LaFleur of the XFL scripting plays. Now making adjustments, not so great sometimes. They've always started off strong and they did again in this game. I mean, they they went down and, and scored on their first drive. They look good. You're able to rush the ball a little bit more against San Antonio because they kind of keep everything in front. They're bend, but don't break. So you have to be very patient in the passing game with them. And I don't think they were. I think Dormandy putting up big numbers, you want to try and put those big numbers up again, right? And I think he was pressing a little bit to do that. And it's just not there against the Brahmas. you got to dink and dunk a little bit more against the Brahmas. And that's why the running game's open. Now, what the Brahmas have found, <laughs> though, is uh, they found some pass rushers, <laughs> right? I mean, uh, number 45, uh, Scott, he looks really good. He's always in there tipping balls. You know, he's getting towards the quarterback. Drew Beasley, really, really. And I know they're the, the ones with the sacks, right? But they were there all game pressing those tackles, right? And really making it uncomfortable for Dormandy. So when those guys rush up field really fast, right? You can get kind of a underneath little draw running game going that the Guardians did and, you know, move that. I think missing Cody Latimer is part of it too. I mean, he is an explosive guy that can take a short pass and, you know, run, you know, for a touchdown. And they probably didn't have that right right then. I mean, obviously their biggest pass play was on a fake punt. You got to give, you know, Mac Brown <laughs> credit. He threw a pretty good ball. And, you know, the kid went up and made a play and got him down to the three-yard line. I like the fact that, you know, like you said, these teams aren't laying down, right? There's no draft to be drafting in. There's a bon win bonus and there's egos. Like nobody wants to be the a two and 18. So I was glad to see that. So, I mean, the Brahmas really came to play on the defensive side of the ball. And then obviously Jack Cohn had his, had his best game and he did a good job of kind of taking what people got him. And then all of a sudden in the third quarter, I kind of realized they were pushing it down the field a little bit more with them. So the offensive line was getting a little bit more of a time. Now, I don't know if if that's an improvement on their end or it's because they were playing the guardians who defensive line is not a strength of that, that team, you know, but he came back in and said, Hey, this job's mine and I'm going to take it. And that, that's kind of what Jack Cohen does. He has above average games. 
Then he has a one stinker. Then you think you can find somebody better. And then he comes back and you're just like, no, we can't. I mean, I know he was hurt too a week or two ago. So he came in and played a great game. And, and, you know, the, the Brahmas really needed this one. I thought the Guardians would pull it out, you know, scoring a late touchdown. And then the Guardians did a Guardian thing on the conversion, right? The total miscommunication between quarterback and receiver. One ran a slant and the quarterback throws a fade. That was a Guardian doing Guardian things, right? They had a chance. They played well. The Brahmas come out on top. And obviously, Patrick, I felt, was very big in the game. And you know what else helped? It's kind of Nick Holly kind of fits this offense a little bit in the passing game, right? You know, he had a big play, you know, one forty-four yard catch, but a lot of it's throw it short to him and let him run. And he fits this offense actually better than where he was, right, in Houston. So it's good to see him come back. I mean, he's always a spring football favorite, you know, too, as well. Beasley came up big at the end of the game, you know, obviously to end, end the game, too, as well. But then I think a challenge kind of overturned it. And I'm not a big fan of this. And it happened in, you know, we'll talk about what happened in the, the Renegades game as well. I'm not a big fan of this. At the end of the game, I got my challenge. I'm just going to throw it up. Guys, find something that happened. Who who got held? You know, right? I don't like that on the challenge. Right now, in my opinion, I don't really like the challenge. I think Dean should just look at it and go. Because, again, I've never seen a perfectly played game, never seen a perfectly coached game, and I've never seen a perfectly officiated game. You know, people make mistakes. All right. Even the statisticians make mistakes and they got to go back. They get a chance to go back and fix it, though. Okay. But the other thing I have here is (laughs) I'm going to propose a rule. Okay. And here's my rule every interception or that you catch on a conversion should be worth one point for the the defending team. So we can't just throw up conversions now and, and wish for the best unless it's the end of the game. It's going to cost you if you make a mistake on a conversion. Hmm. I just feel like we're getting to the point where we're just tossing it up. The offense is kind of coming down, but we're getting a lot of interceptions on these as well that don't count towards any stats or anything. Well, yeah, but on on the flip side of that really quick, I mean, you just got me intrigued. I'd also hate to see quarterbacks just throwing it away. Because I think that's what it would eventually lead to, and it would just make all extra points, I would think, probably 50% of extra points just pointless. I get what you're trying to say. It is, in a way, trying to make it more intriguing. But I also think we'd, we'd see a lot more quarterbacks just throwing it away out of the back of the end zone, like far out of reach. And just in the end, it'd be kind of pointless to even run the play. I mean, again, Absolutely. That's not what we're here to I, talk about. But it's I just, I just wrote it intrigued. down. I was just like, there's got to be some type of incentive, you know, or, or decentive to throw a pick during a conversion. What I've seen in in the conversions is early on, yeah, the quarterbacks were throwing it away because they're used to doing that, right, in the red zone or down in the goal line. Well, now they're starting to just, if I'm in trouble, I'm just going to whip the ball up, right? It doesn't matter unless they return it. And what's the chance of that happening? So I'm just being a little goofy here. I wrote it down. I was just like, I think we we should do a rule and and people might get after me that that's goofy and, and things like that. But I'm just trying to think of ways to make those conversions worthwhile, right? And um, make the offense execute a little bit better during it. 
There might have to be a segment for after the season. Once the season's concluded, maybe we'll have to go through and take a look at what we could propose to Dean and company to just maybe spice some things up or just slightly improve uh, gameplay. But I mean, I don't want to cut you off. If there's anything else you had, you know, in this game, please, by all means, have at it. No, but it's good to see. It's good to turn on a Guardians game and know that they're probably not going to get blown out. They're going to be competitive. They're going to play to the end. And I think they have the same situation that, you know, typically bad teams have. And I mentioned it with Vegas, where at the beginning of the season, you had big issues. So now you're focused on the big issues. Well, now they kind of found their quarterback. They found their strength. They've kind of revamped that offensive line, a new play caller kind of in, in that regard. You know, so the the little things go away. And, and what happens when the little things go away, right? you lose games now by one or two points or three points. And that's what you start seeing. So it'll be really good to see these coaches stick around um, so that they can learn from that and get these bigger issues fixed, whether it's during the off season with personnel or during camp by focusing on those things so that by week two or three, or even by the end of camp that you're really working on those details. Even like a college has an advantage of that with like spring practices and a longer camp period, right? And also having players return a lot, right? (laughs) Whereas this, there might be a little bit of turnover in in players. But it was good to see that they're competitive and I'm still rooting for them. I'm still (laughs) kind of want to see, you know, them get another win so that they, you know, those players, you know, feel good and the coaching and all the work that they've put in uh, really does that. But Heinz Ward has done a great job balancing his team, and he's got him in the playoff picture right now. I mean, it might be a little bit of outside looking in, but he's got him in there going into week 10, and that's all you can ask for. All right. Well, we'll move on to game three, the Arlington Renegades at the D.C. Defenders, with the Defenders winning 28-26. to the Renegades got off to another slow start. I know that kind of sounds tough saying that because they technically got down there and it just didn't quite happen. But to me, they got off to another slow start. But that didn't stop Luis Perez from putting together a solid full game of production, going 31 of 41 for a total of 335 yards, passing one touchdown, one interception against the league's best defense. Stoops running stables also had a combined 113 yards rushing and two touchdowns, but the Renegades defense holding the defenders offense to only 314 yards. And I say that because notably Jordan Taamu was held to a total of 204 yards and Abram Smith only had 56 total yards because if they would have gone off, that would have blown the top off that 314 yard total but they were able to actually hold that defender's offense back a bit. This game is a prime example of why statistics do not always translate to victories, right? We have talked about that the last game. Hey, if you looked at this, you would have believed X, Y, and Z. By winning this game, the defender secured the top seed in the home game in the North Division playoff. So this game has a lot of layers to it because... The Renegades look like they're going to run right down there and get that touchdown. They didn't get that touchdown right out of the gate, right? So it wasn't quite the start that they needed. They kind of look like they're going to be out of it. Heck, that fourth quarter, man, 
They're back in it. So, I mean, there's a lot of layers here. Depends what you think you saw in a game. You know, maybe you only watched the first quarter or two. You might have thought one thing. If you caught the second half, you might have thought, or heck, just the fourth quarter, you might have thought something completely different. So, with those layers, what stood out the most to you? Well, we talked about it in the preview. We talked about Arlington's front seven being able to take care of the running game. And they did. And the other thing, though, here's the the hard part for D.C. You know, Jordan's stats weren't down, I don't believe, because of poor play. It was because of the amount of playing he was in. If he did go to Derek King, kind of in that when they were looked like they were going to run away with it. Derek played well. There was nothing wrong with that, but he's not Jordan. I think there's a difference there. So. He's a serviceable backup. I think he can be a starter in this league at some point in time, Derek. But I think he needs to refine his passing game just a little bit more. He'll be a starter. But right now, Jordan's chasing the MVP. And you can make a case for him in this one that when they took him out, that's when Arlington started creeping back in a little bit. And they put him back in when? In overtime, right? So, you know, they they went to their guy in overtime, um, you know, with that. So I think you you saw that the front seven of Arlington took care of that running game, and we we thought they were going to do that. And there wasn't as much of a passing threat downfield because Jordan wasn't in the game for, I would say, at least one quarter, maybe a little bit more. But at the same time, this this game you know, could have been defined on third down too. If you look at the third down percentage, I know this is something we haven't looked at. Third down efficiency, see, it was 60 and a half percent. So, I mean, 63% converting and Arlington was at 27.3. So DC was staying on the field and also, you know, was able to overcome their turnovers. Now, there were a few plays in this game, too, that, you know, Luis played a heck of a game, and he, he took a beating. Yes, he he did. took a beating, and he played probably one of his best games. Now, this is what you can get out of him, right? But I told you he would make one bonehead play. There's a pick six. Their defense, though, Arlington's defense was able to score as well, keep them in the game. And, you know, really, when it comes down to it, Luis, he kept them going. And him and Canella really, really kept them going, <laughs> you know, moving the ball downfield. What it came down to was a field goal at the end, but you definitely thought DC was going to run away with this. And then all of a sudden Arlington came back. And then, like I said, I'm, I'm not a big fan of the game's basically over. DC has stopped Arlington, but Stoops is telling his staff, find something, find something. Who's being held? And then they go, well, number 80 was being held. So now we challenged number 80 was being held, even though the ball wasn't even thrown to him. Now I know it's a penalty no matter what. Okay, I get it. But again, and now all of a sudden the game continues. They go down, they they kick the field goal, and now we're in overtime. So kind of a weird situation there with the challenge. Smart by their part. They're playing the rules. They figured out the rule. They figured, you know, these coaches figured out really when to use this challenge and that's to keep it until the end of the game, right? You don't want to burn that thing too early because you want to make sure it's an impactful play. So 
they're making sure they're doing that. And so you got to give the coaches credit for that and learning that about the XFL. I'm just not a big fan of the throw it, you know, let's challenge it and see who was holding on the play. At least they have to be specific, but you know, somebody watching anything up there could, uh, could say anything. So that's a little weird to me, but overtime again, you know, and I love the overtime and Arlington can convert like, and when you got Jordan in there, he's going to get at least one of them, you know, and, and convert, you know, and he was able to do that on an easy pass play. So Again, DC gets the win, escapes with it, and at the same time, you know, wins the North and has home field advantage. So can't wait to see what Audi Field's going to be like during a playoff game because there was a great atmosphere on Sunday there. Yes, sellout crowd. It's a great environment for a game, but it's a good environment for a home team to have that in their back corner. And I think as much as we have not talked about the difference of leagues, I think that's what the XFL put all their eggs in this basket of having teams playing in their home stadiums. It's an environment. It's not just to say, okay, to build a fan base, which yes, it's important, but it's a big part about the environment of the game and the sounds and everything. And, and it's not to take a shot because we know that the other league is actually getting into more markets, but I'm saying, I think this is why. And, you know, the league had been a little, behind on some attendance other than you know st louis but the reality is now seems like even dc is kind of getting a little better and that environment is great and it'll be great to have that in the postseason so kudos to the dc defenders or for taking care of business locking up the top seed i know there was a bunch of people earlier in the season that said that they thought that they were you know we had emory hunt on from cbs sports and he had mentioned how he thought they were their top team and stuff like that. So Emory was right. Seems to be the t- one of the top teams to go in for a chance to win this championship. And I know we kind of look at some other teams that were, and they're kind of struggling a little bit. They're, they're still in the fight to secure a playoff spot. So it'll be kind of interesting to see how this works out as we go on. But we'll move right on to game four. We had the, the Seattle Sea Dragons at the St. Louis Battle Hawks with the Sea Dragons winning 30-12. to this was an important game for both teams, no doubt. Everyone knows that this game had huge playoff implications. Didn't figure anything out, but huge playoff implications. We have praised the Battle Hawks for typically finishing games strong. You know, if we look over the, the duration of the season, they're always that back-end team. And then they all of a sudden they got a little bit better at the beginning of the game. But here they are. They didn't look so hot here coming down the stretch. So that was definitely not the case here in week nine. The the Sea Dragons played consistently throughout the game. And Danucci had a Danucci performance. You know, I'm not going to say, you know, yeah, he still had his turnover, but it had plenty of passing yards. But it was really Jacor Pearson who had the near-perfect game. And the rest of the crew collectively provided the Sea Dragons with what they just needed. But as for the Battle Hawks, I'm starting to see some red flags. Not to be doom and gloom here, but after praising Brian Hill a few weeks back, he has not performed the same since. Not to take a shot at him, okay? Just look at there. We've also spoken highly of A.J. McCarron and Hakeem Butler. McCarron had what I think was a subpar game, and Butler just laid a goose egg. Why don't we go ahead and get into the nitty-gritty of this game 
and uh, the outcome that also really starts to murk the waters of what could happen for the second and last spot in the North Division for the playoffs. Yeah, Michael, this was obviously a huge game, and I, I think it mattered more to Seattle than it did the Battlehawks. You know, early on in the season, I would talk about it's always better to get hot late than it is to get hot early. And you're seeing it right now. Seattle's losses came early on, and now they're fixing those mistakes and figuring them out. Whereas the Battlehawks, they look drained almost. They almost looked a little tired. And I know I went on about AJ McCarron and, you know, why he set out. That shoulder might be worse than what we think it is um, after watching this game because of the fact that he had one throw that was downfield. One. Uh, I mean, he missed on it. Um, He had a guy open, but he missed on it. But he was not pushing the ball downfield. You know, when you have a guy on the other side, you know, Pearson, who can take a intermediate pass and score or a short pass and make it a first down, you know, you're starting to see those playmakers really start to make those plays, you know, and Josh Gordon had an amazing catch. And we saw why he's Josh Gordon on a fade route that Danucci just trusted that his guy was better. And the body control of Josh Gordon was, that's why he's Josh Gordon. Like if you can put that ball like that every time to him, he's going to catch it 10 out of 10 times. So he was making plays downfield. And then when I don't think we give enough credit because of the fact that Danucci, you know, throws his interceptions and turns the ball over a little bit, but because he puts up numbers and because they're flashy on offense, we don't give enough credit to that defense and that defensive front. That defensive front is really good. And it's kind of like the, the no name defense, right? Right. Like, I mean, they're not flashy. They just do their job. And, you know, Hazlitt and his DC, you know, have them playing very well right now. And that's why they're able to overcome a turnover by Danucci because that defense can come in and make a stop. And so, you know, when it came to this game, I just, I felt the battle Hawks were a little like sluggish. Like it just didn't seem like they were there and, and Seattle was there to, to win the game. And the playoff scenarios, even down to the last play of the game of Hazlitt deciding, hey, I'm going to kick a field goal here and explaining that to Coach Becht, you know, at the end of the game, like, hey, you know, sorry about that, but we got to do what we have to do here. And we're in field goal position. We need to score three more points because of tiebreakers. So interesting when it comes to that. But I do not think we're giving enough credit to Seattle's defense. Danucci's hot. I think they can go in and beat anybody. And it's going to be interesting to see what comes out of week 10, right? How do the Battle Hawks play and how does Seattle play? And, you know, obviously we're going to see what the tiebreakers are. I don't, there was a list of them and I, I was just don't have them memorized, unfortunately. So, but, um, you know, we'll see what happens. But in this game, Seattle must win and they acted like it was a must win. And, and the Battlehawks just seemed a little bit more drained and a little bit more tired and a little bit more nicked up um, when it came to that. So still a good game. I mean, when it came to it, but 
I didn't feel like Seattle was ever out of control of the game. I, I felt like Seattle was going to win it from from kind of the first snap and the first drive. And like I said, better get hot late than it is early. So we'll see if they can continue their hot streak. Yeah, I just want to just talk about McCarron's shoulder here for a second. I don't have any information on it. You don't have any information, right? Last right. week you kept using the word speculation. From what you've seen and heard over the years from various players and their camps, meaning their agents and whatnot. So you, you just speculated. So I don't think anyone's going to come at you or the show for what you said. I mean, it was very clear that you speculated. But I think there is something to be said, whether might, that might have been a partial truth, your speculation might have been. But there may have been there something to be like, we do need to save the shoulder for that to be the case. I didn't think it'd be that bad, but I think they're also forced to play McCarron. I don't think they had a choice. I don't care what speculation may have been out there, what the reality might have been. I think it just came down to is, hey, knowing Coach Beck and his staff on how serious and how uplifting and the way that they look at things, I think they do take every game seriously. I do think they are do it in a little bit more of a positive manner. And I think that they were positive and like, hey, you just got to go out there and give us 70%. And that might have been just how they looked at it. But the thing is, the team they're playing against is not a team you can go 70% against, if that's the case. And I think that's likely what happened here. Is it right? AJ doesn't look good. And I don't mean he looks terrible. I'm saying he doesn't look like himself. He's kind of just a shadow of himself a little bit. So what happens moving forward? Hey, they got another week, and we'll get into that here in a little bit. But, yeah, this outcome has put the teams on par, and there is a lot of weeds we can get into, and we'll get into that in a little bit. But we'll just we'll move on here because – Well, Michael, oh, I, think, I, I think you're right. I think, you know what, 70% is what he looked like. You know, give us 70%. and. They played well enough and they're good situationally that they probably beat seven out of the 10 teams in this league that week yet. You know, they can, they can squeak out a win there. It's just, they, they're running into the buzzsaw, right? Like they're running into Seattle who, you know, Danucci wants to prove that he's an MVP candidate. You know, he wants to prove that, you know, AJ's getting some talk here. What about me? So I think they just kind of ran into that buzzsaw and, and it played well. Oh, well, I mean, they played all right. <laughs> I mean, like I said, they just looked sluggish. They looked a step slower. They looked a little tired. And sometimes when, you know, I once, um, the women's soccer coach at, when I was coaching, you know, would walk, I would walk by in the hall and I asked him and go, how's, how's everything going? And he goes, well, I'm just managing legs. And you played soccer. You know what it's like. And I took that to coaching football too, because I coached receivers and coached offensive line and running back. Like you only got so much in the tank. So it depends on how maybe they're addressing, you know, some of the things and having a lot of close games and things like that can wear on you a little bit. So, and there's a lot of pressure on them to win at home. There's a ton of pressure for them to win at home. Uh, more, I think, than any other team, probably, you know, maybe, maybe DC because of the size of the crowd. 
So I think 70%, you were right on. Like you got 70% out of AJ and they may have known going in. Yeah, we we may not have this, but hey, let's keep them healthy for week 10, you know, and just get to week 10. Here's the thing. You look at Brian Hill, real, and I'm not trying to bash anybody because, I mean, I praised him and I really thought, like, heck, he's been a solid guy. He really didn't, you know, perform this game. And if you lose that balance, well, if you're only at 70% as a quarterback, it's going to hurt you a little bit more. It also comes down to, look at the draw some games. You know, everyone has hot games. Everyone has terrible games. And sometimes you just have those in-between games. Well, when you know you're going in with a quarterback that's not quite 100%, you're really hoping the other guys are not going to have that off or that subpar game. And in this case, I think that's what happened because sometimes you need your butlers to make sure they get open if the guy can't go down field more, right, and run better routes and and just break clean and and make sure you're a can't-miss target. Maybe Brian Hill just need to step up a little bit. And who knows? This late in the season, we know in sports, no team is healthy, right? Now, there's degrees of health, and we know that. As you get later in the season, as you had mentioned, in college, we were playing, depending how you look at it, you could have four games a week in soccer. But when you played Saturday, Sunday, every Saturday, Sunday, no matter what, it's how it always worked, either home stands or roads. And sometimes you might have that midweek game, or sometimes you might have like a Tuesday, Thursday game, depending on how it played out. Well, dead leg was a thing. Well, I look at football, I get it, one game a week. But in some of these cases, they've had some very short weeks. You can't play on a Monday and go, you know, you know, and then also have Thursday night games, Friday night games. I mean, there's no balance there. And some teams have always had the late game on Sunday, right? Just you look at certain teams that just always never had that maybe extra day that they needed uh, or something. And some teams always kind of got the short change. And, I, and I'm not going to get into it. Right, scheduling is what it is. It's never, I mean, it's a science, but it's never perfect. I get it. Right. But in this case, later in the season, and these teams don't have quite the lead up to the season as most you know, football teams would, you know, look at the NFL or heck even college football teams have. It's so short. They're rushing to get up to full speed. Well, I mean, I know what it used to be like to go through triple sessions for soccer in college. There was a process. Yeah, you get up, but there's a process. You can't overdo it. Or else, yes, you can cause injury. And in maybe some cases, some of these injuries are there. They just weren't that bad. But as the season's gone on, they played and played and played. Who's going to tell a guy not to play when he's trying to build film, trying to achieve his dream, when he tells the coach, Coach, I'm good to go. The other trainer's like, well, he's not terrible. And it's not like he's, he's broken anything. He can't play. So you might want to be careful. I, I bet you that's the case in, for all of these teams to some extent. But some teams might be just dealing with it a little bit worse than others. And maybe that is the problem here with the Battle Hawks. I'm not saying I know anything because it's not the case, but Bayer's shoulders maybe that bad. But they don't really have a choice right now because the guy that replaced him isn't really there anymore either, right? Then he go on the injured reserve. So here they were probably in the, well, yeah, the guy just got us a victory last week, but guess what? We no longer have him. You're at 70%. We're going to have to give it a go because we're in a playoff race. We can't not play somebody that could give us a chance to win against a hot team because that's exactly like you said. The Sea Dragons have been hot. Once they got hot, you know, that we say they're the hottest team, you know, aside from the team that lost one game this year, but from going 
you know, Owen, what, two or whatever, how they started off the season, right? And then all of a sudden, boom, they went in. They're hot on a tear. Yep. So, I yeah. mean, it's kind of tough. Yeah, their their best option was probably, you know, A.J. McCarron at 70% with, with Nick Tiano being out. You know, they're probably asking themselves, who's better? A 70% A.J. McCarron or 100% Manny Ramirez? And I always said, you know, a 75%, 70-75% Aaron Rodgers is better than anybody that's back him up. You know, maybe not now, but... <laughs> But, you know, those guys, you know, they're in that starting spot for a reason. And they could have went in and just said, hey, let's do what we can do. If we drop this one, we still got week 10. I know there's a lot of tiebreakers, but they look like they're in the driver's seat a little bit more than Seattle uh, with it. And, you know, we'll see what happens there. So we'll wrap up the week nine. So looking forward, we have this regular season. We only have one game, or shall I say one week remaining. Four teams vying for those two last playoff spots. So looking ahead to week 10, game one, we have the 1-8 Orlando Guardians at the 6-3 St. Louis Battlehawks. The Guardians have been eliminated. However, this game is important for the Battlehawks. This result could be more then winning or losing, scoring differential may also become very important here. So just to get into the dingweeds here a little bit, our friend, Maddie Fresh, who I have never met and never even had a conversation with, but I'll call him a friend because he's a fellow alternative football and supporter of the XFL with his show, Spring Football or Spring Football Boulevard, something like that. He uh, shared an image of the Battlehawks playoff Rooting guide, supposedly. This is for fans to root. They need to beat Orlando with Orlando scoring as little as possible. So it says here on the note, Ed, okay? It says they need Houston needs to score at least six more than Orlando. Arlington needs to score at least two more than Orlando. The Vegas needs to score at least seven more than Orlando. And Vegas needs to score at least six more than Houston. And Vegas needs to score at least two more than Arlington. Okay, people, this doesn't mention anything about the Seattle Sea Dragons, who they are head-to-head. So I feel like this is missing a whole chunk. But I'm just what I'm trying to get at is somebody took the time here to go into the weeds and start digging. Maybe this is not a full deep dive, but I'm trying to get into I haven't done this. I, and I probably won't before this weekend. So if anyone's looking for that type of a commitment, I, I don't have that time. I'm sorry. I just, I don't. I'm a little behind in my work life now to get caught up because I, in a personal life, I've taken a week and a half away and even, you know, haven't put as much time in the show here. So I just don't have that time to get caught into the, getting those weeds. That, that's, that's some serious deep weeds there. But not to keep rambling on, I just wanted to give, like some foresight of what supposedly these weeds look like, because that didn't even get into the, the sea dragons dilemma because that's who they're based of, you know, head to head on this last playoff spot. But go ahead, sh- share your thoughts. This is an interesting playoff scenario. And like you said, I'm, I'm going to let the the experts and, and the, the journalist, uh, like I always say, I'm the enthusiast, right? 
I'm going to let them deal with it. And at the end of the games, they can tell me who's in the playoffs, <laughs> you know, but obviously this is an important game for St. Louis. Orlando is not going to lay down. I don't, I don't care what anybody says. Buckley wants to win more in one game. The team wants a win bonus. They want to be spoilers. They, you know what I mean? Like, they don't want to be the red carpet to the playoffs for the Battle Hawks. So I think this is going to be a very competitive game. And like we talked about, having a, a healthy AJ McCarron will help them. So we're going to see how that goes. I'm going to say this. You're going to tell, you know, how healthy he is. You know, look at the distance of the throws that he's throwing. Are they more towards the inside a lot? Are the, the throws downfield more towards the inside of the field as well? You know, because those are those take a little bit less velocity to have to to get down there where when you're throwing to the outside, those are long throws, take a lot out of you. You know, as a fan, keep an eye out on that, you know, and be like, oh, he's not getting it downfield. There's got to be something up. But, you know, AJ may come in and start lighting it up and, and that competitive three-time national champion just will, you know, come out of him and he'll find a way to win the game. And I think that's what the battle Hawks will do again. I think the guardians will be competitive and they'll make this close, but I think they do a guardian thing at the end of the game situationally and wind up down, you know, coming out of this with a two to three point loss. It'll be interesting to see if this one's got some scoring (laughs) or not. You know, I think scoring's been up, which is great. So I'm expecting it to be. I don't expect a 12 to 10 game here. But, you know, St. Louis is going to come out playing for their playoff lives. And like I said, if you couldn't get excited last week, you better be excited this week if you're a battle hawk. You know, I mean, you better be ready to go. You better be well rested and you better, you know, get out there and go. I've got, you know, them winning, but just by a couple of points and the Guardians will make a game of it. I know the Battlehawks fans, Kalkaw Nation there, is very vocal. Okay, and I know some people have even kind of looked at them as maybe they might be the most nerve-wracking or upsetting fans to deal with. And I'm not saying that's every one of them, because I have plenty of friends that are Battlehawk faithful, right? And so, but here's the thing. They are vocal towards other fans other teams about their own attendance. I'm sure that they're very vocal to the players on the field because there's whatever built up in that city with football. I rightfully so. I get that they had their team stripped away based on lies and a bunch of other crap. So I'm not saying they're they're wrong for that. But in this case, I hope that Battlehawks fans would understand that if McCarron is not practicing that much this week, don't Calm, a wussy. I mean, when I'm trying to keep it clean here, so I'm not going to, you know, I'm sure certain there'll be other terms used. But I'm saying, don't be harsh on your quarterback this week because he probably needs to rest it as much as possible because you're in a game that essentially is going to dictate whether you have a spot in the playoffs. Don't be too harsh on anybody else who's got some lingering issues. Just let them rest it. Treat it to how, whatever means they need to, right? Now, as far as the Guardians, what I'm going to say is, Bedhog fans, don't be surprised if the Guardians find a way to be the spoiler. 
You can rag on the Guardians all you want about how it's a, been a crappy franchise, if you want to use the term franchise, but poor coaching staff, and heck, the fans don't even care to turn out. Well, guess what? That team on the field doesn't care if 7,000 people were showing up to Camping World Stadium. They're looking to make their win bonus. They're looking to spoil somebody's postseason. So be careful who you bag on because they might just be the people that you're giving them bulletin board material. Okay, so I'm, I'm switching this as part of the, the matchup. All right, we're, we got some days here before this happens. But I think the Battlehawks people, you're a little vulnerable right now. Whether you want to admit it, whether you're sitting in your 35,000-seat castle or not, they don't care how many people are going to be in those stands because uh, this team knocked off the undefeated team. They don't care who you are. And I'm not saying I'm calling an upset alert, but in the reality is this team didn't look like themselves last week. And if they can't pull it together, I could see the Battlehawk fans being pretty upset with their own team and, you know, whatever else might come along with it. But I, I, I'm just, I had a little moment. I had to share they might want to just take the back seat here a little bit, a little humble pie for this week, and just try to get through it first before they, they speak too much. That's all, that's all I'm going to say. With the Guardians, I mean, Dormady is going to have to have a great game, you know, and he's going to have to put up some yardage and put up some touchdowns, and and we'll see if that happens. And I think coming into it, it looks like you got a kind of a sluggish team to a team that's been playing very hard. But at the end of the day, I still think St. Louis is a better team that can overcome some mistakes. And the Guardians can't. And like I said, the Guardians will make that one, they'll get close and then they'll make the, the they do guardian things, as I call it now. <laughs> uh, you know, a penalty or a turnover or a miscommunication or a bad coaching to, you know, clock management or a missed field goal. And then the Bad Hawks are going to the playoffs. But you know what? They do want to play spoiler. Like I said, they're not going to lay down. So it should be a good game in St. Louis. No doubt. So moving on to game two, we have the eight and one DC defenders at the three and five San Antonio Brahmas. DC has nothing to prove. You know, we had talked about speculating, would you rest Tayamu at some point? And then, I mean, so here you are, you have nothing to prove, but the other team's playing for their lives. So that seems to be a team that's kind of, desperate and is going to be gunning for you, throwing everything at the sun because it is a must-win situation for them. It's tough to say that San Antonio has a chance here, but Cone just throw for 300 yards and had his best game. So, I mean, I don't know. What do you anticipate from this must-win game for the Brahmas? Playing at home, I think they'll come out pretty strong. And I think, you know, they've kind of seen who kind of their playmakers are a little bit here. And and we'll see if, you know, Nick Holly is that guy a little bit or can at least take some pressure off of Mac. And I think Vasher is, a, you know, the receiver, you know, a little bit. So maybe they things open up a little bit more. And we'll see, you know, how the running game goes with Patrick as well. The, the whole intrigue in this game to me is, is what's DC going to do? You know, are they going to play Jordan? Are they not going to play him? Are they going to play him some? Are they going to not play? You know what I mean? Like, And then other starters like Abram Smith, and you can sit some people, you know, or you play them early and, and get out, you know, once you know they're good to go, you can bring them out, you know. 
So I think we're going to see a little bit more Derek King. I think you're going to see at least a quarter of Derek King, whether it's sporadic throughout the game or, you know, a whole half. Um, I think you're going to see that. I think what I would do is since it's a 10 game season and, and not a 17 game season, I would start Jordan. I would have him go first couple of series and then I'd have Derek go in for a series, maybe Jordan and then Derek a couple series. And then, you know, second half, Jordan comes out again, starts, you know, so that he's you're not going to be rusty. You know, I feel like if you take a week off, you get, you, you get kind of a little rusty. And he's also vying for, I believe, an MVP. You know, I don't know if the league's going to have that, but I, I would think it would. So I think he wants to play, right? And he wants to finish the season out. And he wants to do a good job of doing it. So it'll be an interesting game to see how DC plays that and how, you know, obviously the Brahmas are going to go all out for them to even be in the playoff talk right now is amazing. (laughs) Even though they would be a four win team getting in and us leaving a, you know, six or seven win team out, but you know, that's how it's set up, you know, so that's how it goes, but we'll see. I mean, can Jack, Cone have have a second game like he did and if he does and throws a couple touchdowns and you know doesn't turn the ball over they're gonna do fine I just think the offensive line issues are gonna show back up because they're playing DC and DC's just got a better defense a better defensive line better blitz packages you know they're more aggressive I still think that you know it'll be a competitive game but if DC rests people I think San Antonio's got a chance but if DC was playing their starters throughout I don't think San Antonio's got a chance. I just don't. I don't think. I think DC's defense will overwhelm that offensive line. So, right. I don't think the offensive line could really handle when they're lining up that that seven man rush. You know, and that that is just brutal. God bless Jack Cohn this weekend because uh, he's going to need it to stay upright at least. So I'm not trying to be a comedian here, but I'm just saying, like, even if Tamu doesn't play half the game or ends up sitting. And I'm not saying I, I think Derek King is the guy that's going to tear them apart. I just think that defense is so strong. Pick sixes, whatever. I mean, they throw, when they throw the house at you, they come. And there's no mercy. I mean, that Greg Williams defense, that looks like a, a National Football League defense. Is what it looks like to me. When I see that thing coming, it is firing all cylinders. It doesn't look like it belongs in the XFL. It's hard to believe that a team without an offense line, which unfortunately neither did the Guardians. So, I mean, that's what really blows my mind is how the Guardians stayed in it and actually pulled that game out. But like I said, it was just in that game, they lacked a little bit of special teams. That must have been look, what worked. Looking back at the Guardians game against DC, too, the Guardians were able to use their strength, which was the receiver position against the defenders, kind of their weakest part of the defense, which is some of the secondary. I know. I know Joseph gets the interceptions and gets the pick sixes, but he's given up some big plays too. You know, so when you look at that matchup, the Orlando, you know, matched up well outside versus versus uh, DC. Here, no. you know, San Antonio doesn't really have, you know, the weapons on the outside to exploit that. And, you know, it doesn't matter who's in the backups like you know you start playing some backup linebackers and stuff Williams will want to blitz them so that they learn and get experience 
running the blitz packages so that if they are needed, you know, they get reps doing it and they can get coached off a of tape, you know, because it's important to do that. So yeah, it'll be interesting to see what happens again. I mean, um, I still think, you know, it'll be a, a competitive game, obviously. Um, I don't see just lays down and doesn't play Jordan. So I think it, it'll still be competitive. I just have to make a note here because I know we're talking about the potential or the possibility of resting players. The XFL rosters are not that large. Okay. So we know already that they're smaller than national football leagues. We already know that the the practice squad is not the same, right? So if they do elect to rest a player or two, it's not like resting an entire side of the ball or a whole line of linebackers or defensive linemen, right? It comes to a point. You're literally going to have to pick and choose the one or two people. So, I mean, and your depth is not going to be that much. So when we're talking about it's, it might just be a player or two and you have to be very wise on what you're sacrificing. If you want to be a competitive team, because the depth is just not there. Well, yeah. I mean, you're, you're resting those playmakers, right? Those guys that really have an impact. So um, you know that your production could potentially fall off then, but um, yeah, it'll be in, and Abram Smith. Let's not forget about that. Let's see what he gets. You know, maybe he gets a few carries first quarter, and then maybe he's done for the day. And they say, "Hey, save the legs." That's a different position. I feel like that position you can take a week off and still be sharp the next week. You know, whereas quarterback, I feel like you just, you kind of got to be always in a groove week after week, you get it in the same routine and you want to be in that same routine. So that's the interesting part about this game and and about coaching, right? Like, how are they going to, you know, how are they going to address this? So we'll move on to game three. We have the six and three Houston Roughnecks at the four and five Arlington Renegades. Before this game is played, the Renegades will either know whether they've already clinched a playoff berth or will know how they have to approach this game to secure their postseason life. So regardless, the Renegades' victory would secure their place in the postseason. And another rematch, eventually, of yet the Roughnecks you know, just another week. So it'll be their third time, you know, just back-to-back weeks, which they happen to have had experience playing teams back-to-back. They just, for some reason, couldn't pull off the second one against San Antonio early in the year. So just to be mindful of how they have to approach this, you know, I know it's one game at a time. You got to get in the postseason first. But, you know, looking at this, yes, the Roughnecks have secured. And if... Silvers has a lingering issue himself and something's just not quite right. Again, we'll go back to, do you rest your quarterback? Now, not to continue to add to the controversy of who should be playing. Should it be Cole McDonald? Should it be Brandon Silvers? But I mean, you're also trying to figure out something here. It's not just who your quarterback is. It's not just get the quarterback healthy. If you already know who your quarterback is, you're like, oh, we, we know it's Silvers. But you also need to have him healthy. Right, so this is not, you don't need them. Maybe you'd rather play the Brahma so you feel like you have to beat this team to give yourself the weaker opponent down the line because maybe this Luis Perez just got his second game in his belt. You know, we could talk about some of the things going. If Luis gets a little bit more comfortable with his offense and if the Arlington could start becoming a little bit stronger 
offensively, this may not be the person they want to meet in the postseason. So they kind of do have a situation, you know, another dilemma here. Get your guy healthy, figure out who your quarterback is. You don't quite have the number one receiver figured out, right? So you're still trying to figure out that connection. So as the season goes on, I mean, there's just seems to be a lot here and it also needs to be figured out. You know, so, I mean, what do you anticipate with this matchup? Well, you know, I feel like Wade Phillips has been in this position before, right? As a coach, whether to rest or not rest. And he's going to go based off of his previous experience. If Silvers is hurt, which we don't ever really know the degree of injuries like we do kind of in the NFL, right? Where there's a reporter on top, you know, five, six reporters on top of the quarterbacks in the league to find out. And obviously the gambling people are too, right? You know, they want to know. So we don't really know there, but he kind of, he kind of looked like, you know, AJ and him who started off on fire, right? have kind of simmered down a little bit now because they've gotten nicked up. I think right now it's, if I'm Houston, I'm playing everybody and I'm playing him and I'm playing them throughout the game. And we're playing this as, as a game. The other impact that you have to think about too, Michael, is this is different than the NFL in the regards that there are win bonuses. And and I know it's not a ton of money. And would a teammate give up a thousand dollar win bonus to win a playoff game and win a championship? Probably. However, these guys don't make hundreds of thousands or millions of dollars. Okay. These guys are making sixty, sixty-five thousand. So a thousand bucks is is big to them. So when you're looking at it as a coach, you have to think you got to get your players insight on how they feel about that. And if you know Brandon Silvers, he wants to be out there. He wants to play. AJ wants to be out there. They want they want to play. They want to do well. And I think that's what happens here. I think they say, hey, you know, let's not go into the playoffs. Let's not, you know, back into the playoffs, as I say. Okay. Now they've earned their way there. But I feel like when you lose a game and then you got to play off the next game, you're kind of, you're almost backing in. Okay. Or if you rest your starters, right? I've seen it happen too many times in Green Bay. We rest our starters the last week and then, you know, we're we're crap the week later in the playoffs, you know. So I believe in playing guys and what happens will happen, you know, when it comes to that. Now, if they're up 28 to nothing or 28 to seven and beginning the fourth quarter, yeah, pull people. Okay, I'm not being reckless. That's for any of the, this, for both of those teams, you know, of DC and that. If they're up, you feel you got the game in hand and you can get through the game with your guys, then start pulling people. And I think that's what Houston has to do here. The Renegades kind of started over, right? When you bring in a quarterback, you know, they've started over three times this year Drew Plitt, Sloter, now Perez. And they need to go, right? And they need to win, anyways. So even if they know San Antonio, you know, loses and you're in the playoffs before you play, they need to play to improve. They need to play and get reps. They need to play to win the game so that they go in with at least a five and five record. Nobody wants to be a four and six playoff team. Nobody ever wants that. This is going to be the good rivalry game that we, we should have, right? And 
I think Arlington, if Perez can put together another game, um, we'll see. But I, I don't. He he puts back to back games together. I think Houston winds up winning this because their defense is just too strong. And Arlington's offense, they may have found their way a little bit, but they just don't have enough time to keep working on it and restarting. So we may wind up with a four and six <laughs> playoff team, which I don't want to see, but it is what it is. If I'm Houston, if I'm Wade Phillips, I put my opponent out of their misery. I do not play with mercy. I know that sounds pretty stern, but I'm just saying you have the team that you are likely to face next week. I do not give them any hope. I don't give them any thoughts that you can be defeated once again. You put them out of their misery. You give your boys, your lads, the win bonus they deserve. You try to build upon and build some momentum going into postseason so that you actually give yourself a belief that you can actually win a championship because you just weeks ago were looking like a totally different team. So if you're going to actually make any sort of decent run and win a championship, you got to have some self-belief that when you face off against the North in the championship, you know, God willing that you make it there, you actually believe that you can do it. So you want to take that fire out of any potential team and you want to actually light your own team to give it every opportunity you could possibly have moving forward. And that's just, I mean, it's not X's and O's. This is just pure motivation. And I know Wade Phillips has been there, done that, but he's an older coach. And sometimes it feels like he just doesn't quite have the verbiage to like people, but I would not hinder that by trying to sit anybody or just be like, Hey, let's just go out there and play. Like you and I have talked about this before. If you go out there and just go through the motions, you make yourself susceptible to more injuries anyway. So just go play football. Just, just go out there and take care of the business. You are the better team, even if Silvers is uh, slacking. Take advantage of whatever you can and, so to speak, step on the Renegade's throat. Put them out of their misery. Yeah, I, th- I think if you're Houston, you want to go in the playoffs feeling hot, feeling good about a game, the last game that you played. And and so, yeah, you want to really you know play well. I think they do. I think they're going to be too much. For, like I said, I think just their defense is too much for Dallas's offensive line and their offense. And Dallas may have found some things with Luis, but I don't think it's enough at this point in time. We will move on to the last regular season game preview. We have game four. The two and six Vegas Vipers at the six and three Seattle Sea Dragons. Now, this game is essentially the same exact situation as the Guardians Battlehawks game. You know, without reading those things off, I bet you it's a slightly different point, whatever, and blah, blah, blah. But the benefit that the Sea Dragons have here is they'll actually already know the outcome of that game. So it kind of takes out part of the not knowing, right? I think the Battlehawks have to go in. I, we just have to win, and we have to win big. Right. That's all they can hit. Well, here, Seattle will know what they need to do. And I'm not saying that it means they still don't need to win, but it's kind of takes out that eeriness, right? Of no control. Because now, being the last game of the week, you'll know how all those other points, win or loss, you'll know how it all has to play out. So now you'll know what you have to go for, whether to play more conservative in a situation, right? Don't. Don't be so crazy on a fourth and four or whether you can go for the field goal. Don't just get the secure 
you know, the, the guaranteed point, so to speak. So this, I think, will be a different scenario, very similar, but different scenario. And they just happen to be playing against another team that's record-wide doesn't look that good. But McClendon, even though there's some tape out there now, still seems to be performing pretty well. So, I mean, here's another competitive team. And it's not a lay down. And we know that the, the Vipers not going to lay down anyway. They're going to want their third win. They're going to want the, their guys to get paid the extra money. And uh, I'm going to say this is Seattle's game. I just think they're too, they look to be too healthy. I think Lindsay's still not into the mix fully. He still didn't look that great in his second game last week. But I think it, as he keeps kind of coming along, that team gets a little bit stronger. I just, I don't see the Vipers being enough against a team that's as hot as they have been knowing what they have to do 100%. I just, it just seems like this is a recipe for disaster for the Vipers, but they've been competitive. So, I mean, what are you thinking? I think you're right. I think there is a slight advantage for Seattle knowing what they have to do. And Jim Hazlitt and his coaching staff, I would, if I was Jim Hanslett, I'd have the young guy on my coaching staff write down on a card what needs to be done in order for them to be playoff bound. Whether it's just win because the Battle Hawks lost, or whether it's all the other scenarios, you got to score this many points and, you know, or whatnot. And I would have them all staple it to their call sheets and put it in there so that when it comes down to the scenario, we're wondering why Jim Hanslet's got to go over those scenarios in his head prior to the game very quickly. And he asked, what I would do is I would take sharpest, youngest guy on my staff that's not a coordinator, and I would have him write those things down. And I would say, it's your job to start thinking through all the scenarios that we might see that could affect this. Let's go. And you guys, for about a half hour, going back and forth, And during the game, you're going to count on that kid to help you make decisions. Should we go forward on fourth down? Should we go for three? Should we go for two? Um, Should I kick a field goal here? Should we get in position to kick a field goal at the end of the game? Things like that, that you're not used to thinking about as a coach. And will Jim do it? I don't know. Like, I would think so. That's what I would do. But he's got to have somebody else also run those numbers scenarios with them. And I always say, don't bother your OC with it. Just tell your OC, we need to score a touchdown, (laughs) right? So he can focus on that. Not, Hey, we need to be scoring 14 more points. You know, I I just think they need to prepare a little bit more for that. And you got to do it quickly, right? Cause you only got a few hours, you know, before the game starts, but you will know. I think that's a slight advantage. Like you said, because then you can make, specific calls, right? I've been in this situation where we had a last conference game and we had to win the game by, I think we had to win by 12 points. We had to beat the team by 12 points. Otherwise that team would go to the playoffs and we beat them by exactly 12 points. But we also knew, Hey, it's the fourth quarter. (laughs) We're, we're up by five. let's go. Let's, you know, there's about five minutes left. Let's take a shot. And we took a shot and obviously scored and and went to the playoffs. So it did affect the way we were coaching. Okay. Otherwise we would have just ground out the clock to get the win, but we had to be a little bit more aggressive to make sure we point differential. 
right? Right. Um, but when it comes to this game, uh, McClendon's been playing well. I think that ends this game, and it's not because of McClendon. It's because Seattle's defense. Like, I'm going to sit here and scream it from the mountaintops right now. I live in the flatlands of Illinois, so we don't even have my <laughs> I mean, so, I mean, Seattle's defense is so underrated, and that front seven is so underrated that, you know, McClendon is going to have a tough time, I think. I think they confuse him a little bit more. They're able to pressure him a little bit more. He'll make a couple plays with his legs. He'll make a couple of throws, but I don't think he's going to have that completion percentage you think of. And Danucci's going to be firing on all cylinders too. Like he wants this. He wants to play well. And if Pearson's not playing well, he's going to go to Gordon. If he's not playing well, you know what I mean? They got another guy. So he's got enough weapons around him. And like you said, Lindsay's just getting his legs under him. And I feel like he's going to have a breakout game eventually. This could very well be it. I just think Vegas, again, they don't get down to the details. So if it is a close game, they, they wind up making a mistake situationally that cost them, kind of like it did in this previous game. And Seattle's just too good. Like, I think Danucci's just too good, and, he, and, he, and he's able to tear him up. So I think Seattle actually wins this pretty big. And McClendon kind of comes down to earth a little bit more because Seattle's defense is good. and. Nobody's talking about them and they know that. And so they're just going to keep trying to play harder until someone talks about them, you know? So I think Seattle comes out with a win and it'll be interesting. You know, if I had to predict something, I think Seattle winds up in the playoffs and the battle Hawks are on the outside looking in at the end of the day, just because I feel Seattle's the hotter team right now and, and can put up more points. And that differential will will be in their advantage at that point in time. So there is one thing I want to just kind of acknowledge here, and uh, I'll probably even share a little story. We'll depend on how I get going here with it, how I feel about it. But the XFL lost Chris Smith, a Seattle Sea Dragon, and I don't know Chris Smith, right? So I, I can't talk about personally or anything. But I, I have experienced losing people. Right. And I'm not just talking about loved ones. I'm talking about tied to sports teams. And I know that it could go one of two ways. It could either strengthen you and unite you in a way that nothing can tear you apart. And I mean, like, even sports wise, it kind of, I don't know, more clarity as a a unit because you just experienced something and you're doing it for, you know, even though you have a heavy heart. And grieving to whatever extent, but you come together as one and, you know, it's because you do it for your teammate or somebody tied to the program. Or it could be just so heavy that you're, you don't play as yourselves. And it depends on the team, depends on the unit. It doesn't matter what your record is. It doesn't matter how talented you are or untalented you are. It can impact you in varying ways. Now, back in college, my junior year, we happen to have two teammates and the girlfriend or another teammate getting a bad car wreck where two of them were thrown from the car and the girlfriend didn't make it. And the other one happened to be the assistant coach's son. You know, our teammate got thrown and he was laying in a hospital. Well, we had a road trip to Buffalo and we made the road trip, but for us, we came together 
And uh, one of the, one of the other aspects is one of the teammates also happened to go to high school with Allison that had passed away. So he had graduated high school with her. So, I mean, we were tied every which way. We dominated. I mean, we were as clear, as precise as anything we could ever do. I mean, we killed this team 11 to 1 on Sunday. I mean, we, we dominated soccer 11 to 1 is unheard of. We were putting defenders up front, we're scoring goals that they've never scored in their lives. We were just so clear. But I, I share this because Seattle could be on a rampage. This could be their moment, or this could just impact the team in a way that nobody can fat. But either way, I don't share the story to get my Casanova College story out there, you know, in the loss of Allison and what we dealt with. But I, I share it because from anything I've read, and I've been out of it for, you know, a week and a half, whatever, but coming back into it, I came right back into it to read a lot about Chris Smith and his impact with Tyson National Football League, the XFL. And I feel it's important to acknowledge that he seemed to have a huge impact on this Seattle Sea Dragons team. And I don't think that's something to overlook. And I don't know how it's going to play out, but, you know, my heart goes out to Chris Smith's family, his friends, his teammates. You know, I wish them all the best as they get through this, you know, together. Yeah, Michael, you know, obviously, you know, our thoughts and prayers are, are with his family, you know, and, and his friends. Um, and any, anybody that, that knew him. And, and I think you're right. I think it's just, you know, with the suddenness of this, you know, it can take a little bit out of you. And I think it can do that a little bit, but it can also, like you said, clear your mind and understand like, Hey, you know, we're not here forever. And I get, and right now I get to play a game for a living. And I think they do, you know, they will play, you know, in honor of him. Um, and being at home as well. And I think that will help, you know, help them a little bit, but it doesn't overshadow, you know, the fact that they lost somebody. Right. And that's hard to do when it's in, in a locker room. And, and especially if the person is well-liked and, you know, had NFL experience. So I'm sure he was mentoring some kids, um, some players and really got to know people. And like you said, you know, we, what we've been reading in the press, you know, is that he impacted people that he met and spoke to and played with. So obviously they've, they've got that to, to have to deal with this week. And you're right. It, it could be a clear, you know, kind of a little bit of a factor in, in your motivation. Right. And you want to play in his honor. You want to play well in his honor. And, um, you know, we, we've seen that in sports and I think Seattle will do that. No doubt about it. You know, big loss for, you know, Seattle, the XFL, the NFL, and obviously for his, his family and friends, you know, hopefully, you know, people don't have to go through that too often. Everybody's got to, you know, we do go through that in life, but we, we want to make sure that we're giving, you know, our, our due diligence to, to kind of the situation as well. Right. Well, I just thought it was important to mention and to kind of not necessarily my story with sports, but I, I think it's important, you know, and uh, you know, not to blow past something so vital, especially to that locker room and that team. To move on, we have came to the end of the road of another show together, Mark. As always, it is a pleasure 
And as I stated in the lead up or the, the start of this particular conversation, I do. I appreciate everything that you have done for the show. And, uh, and I know you are a football enthusiast. I know you're watching the games, whether you're going to do the show or not, but you know, I, I appreciate it, you know, and it's as a, as a lone host, I don't, I mean, I have a team, I have some, you know, some people that help a little bit behind the scenes that I've kind of shared, you know, all the time, but you have become a very vital member of this team. And if not anything, maybe a bigger piece than anybody else has ever been. So I, you know, in, in the wake of Chris Smith and stuff, want to make sure I do truly share my appreciation because, you know, we're coming to the end of the regular season. We've got the postseason. You know, life does go on. You know, I don't want to ever take you for granted. So thank you for coming on and talking about week nine with me and previewing week 10. It is greatly appreciated. Always a pleasure, Michael. And, you know, it, it wouldn't have happened if you, if you wouldn't have reached out. So I appreciate that too. You know, I don't know if we've ever spoken about this, but when Michael reached out to me and we and you know asked me to contribute to to the show here, as I've listened to, and you know I do listen to you know other shows. I listen and I do listen to USFL shows as well. So shout out to those producers and you know contributors there too, because we're trying to build this you know one block at a time, kind of a little bit and one house at a time and. It's been fun. And, you know, I, I thought about starting my own back in 2020 and it just never happened due to, you know, having kids in, in life. And, and when you kind of uh, brought it up or reached out to me, it was the perfect situation a little bit. But I'll tell you what, everybody, Michael does the bulk of the work. <laughs> okay. All the behind the scenes editing and all that thing, you know, so I come on and I, I talk and, and I, and, that's what I'm good at. I, I'm good at talking about football and I like talking about it, but um, Michael's done a great job. And I, you know, I thank you also as well for reaching out because this has been fun. You know, this has taught me to, you know, even at the, you know, ripe age of uh, 47, you know, it's taught me to put myself out there a little bit and it's not so bad when you do that. So um, it's been a lot of fun. I've gained some followers on Twitter which is nice. great. People Good. like when I comment on things, I think people know who I am. I don't know. <laughs> so maybe it gives me a little bit more credit than what I used to just, you know, tweet things. So, but you know, thanks to you, thanks to all the other uh, contributors to any type of football, any type of what we call alternative football, you know, we choose to s stick to the XFL here. Otherwise, you know, we would have had eight games to go over this week and that's just too many. But anybody who's doing podcasts there as well and making opportunities for people and giving players interviews and getting the word out, that that's great. And I, I hope I've helped in that a little bit. And I hope that people enjoy that part. Well, I think you have. I know I'm just one opinion, but I think you have. Or else I think I would have pulled the plug a long time ago, Mark. Not <laughs> just, <laughs> just kidding. Just kidding. But uh, no, but thank, thank you for... You know, your kind words, uh, it's not always something that I seek. And I, I, I am grateful for, you know, like I said, what you've done and the, even for what, you, what you've said, because uh, I do believe we're stronger as a show. And I mean, we, because there's people that have contributed along the way, you know, you a lot, uh, Brian Roth in the past and some people behind the scenes that help get me up to par to, to launch something like this. And 
regardless if it's a one man, what appears to be a one man show, it always takes a team effort to make some things happen. So again, uh, I am grateful, but you know, in the effort of getting you a few more Twitter followers, I think we haven't done that the past couple of, so why don't you throw your Twitter handle out there one more time? All right. Yeah. You can reach me at Mark M A R K underscore Hallbach H A L B A C H Mark underscore Hallbach. And, uh, yeah, reach out if you'd like, or just follow. Um, like I say, I don't tweet too much during the games and stuff because a lot of times I'm I'm watching them like either a half hour, hour behind, or or watching them later. Um, and I I also want to focus on taking my notes and not tweeting. <laughs> you know, my initial reaction. You know, I like it to sink in a little bit. But you know, maybe one of these games during the playoffs and during the championship game, maybe I'll, I'll get on Twitter a little bit more during the game and kind of give my insight as we, as the game goes along. So looking forward to maybe doing that as well. All right. Perfect. Thank you, Mark. Thank you, Michael. Have a great week and we'll play on. We'll be talking playoffs. That's playoffs, 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 playoffs. It is hard to believe that we're on the brink of witnessing the XFL complete another regular season. Seeing 2020's pandemic ripped away countless things from people's lives, it is good to see something return. For me, the XFL is one of them. XFL 2.0 seemed to do everything right. It brings Mark and I joy to have it back, and this time around, we are doing our part in helping it succeed. Hopefully, you, the listeners, have and will continue to enjoy the show. Unfortunately, we do not have any fan line messages this week. If you have an XFL-related comment, question, or hot take and would like it to be heard on the show, reach out to the fan line by calling 863-TALK-XFL or 863-825-5935. Doing so, your message could be included in an upcoming episode. All good things must come to an end. This concludes another episode of Player 54 Podcast. As always, I am interested in receiving your feedback, so do not be a stranger. Reach out to let me know your thoughts, and if you do so, your comments might just make it on the show. But before you go, do not forget to subscribe and rate the show on your platform or choice. One last thing, if you're interested in checking out our friends over at Royal Retros by 503 Sports, do not forget to click on the link in the show's description and notes, as well as that sweet code, Let's Talk XFL or 10% off your purchase. Thank you for tuning in. Till next time, cheers. Thank you for tuning into today's show. Don't forget to subscribe and rate Player 54 Podcast on your platform of choice. You can follow the show on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Player 54 Podcast. Do you have a question or topic you would like to have addressed on the show? Message the show via social media or send an email to player54podcast at gmail.com.